0: it's time for the apple seed filled with stories for you and your family all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers to warm your heart lift your spirit and give flight to your imagination and we've got all kinds of great stories for you today i'm sam payne your host And it's such a pleasure for me every time that you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. Now, we've got stories today that are largely about food. Not all the stories we're going to bring you are about food, but we thought we'd bring you some food tales. You know, we all love food. You know, we need energy, of course, but it's just so good, too, isn't it? And, of course, depending on the place, food tends to take on different personalities and characteristics. You can find out about the culture of a place by discovering its food. So we're going to hear a story about a rice ball and we're going to hear a story about magical ice cream, and we've got other stories, too. We've got a story about dancing, and we've got a story from, uh, well, a passage from The Secret Garden, a terrific book by Francis Hodgson Burnett. To introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, uh, Trent Horton. Trent, it's great to have you with me. Hey, it's good to be here. You know, let's talk a little bit about this Connie Regan
1: Blake story, Rice Balls. Uh, all right. So Rice Balls begins with uh, the, mate, the protagonist. She's an elderly woman, but she's very cheerful despite being super poor and she doesn't really have a whole lot to eat. Hmm. But, um, you know, if you put yourself in her situation, I imagine, you know, if you drop something on the floor, you pick it up, you blow it off. Yeah, you eat it, right? Now- Trent's just revealing a little something about his food practices there, right? Five second rule is a real- yeah, Well, it's not real, too, but it sure. is- <laughs> 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 Not how it works, but it's certainly a, a good practice. Um, but she drops her food, her rice ball. yeah, And instead of just landing on the floor where she can pick it up, it actually starts rolling away and down the mountain. And so she chases after it naturally, you know, as you would if you're hungry enough. And you know, she's chasing it, and I don't think many of us would expect to to chase food right into a den of monsters, but that's <laughs> precisely what happens to this to this old lady. And so uh, that's where this tale kind of takes a a bit of a turn, you know, from yeah. everyday into the fantastic. But right, um,
0: certainly is fun. Well, the teller is Connie Riggin Blake, and the tale is Rice Balls. With that introduction, let's hear it, here on The Appleseed.
2: There was a cheerful old woman. Now, some people would look at her and say, oh, what a hard life. She doesn't have much money, very poor. She doesn't have enough to eat, but she didn't think of it that way. She had some chickens and a goat She lived in a house on a very steep hill. She lived about halfway up. But it was true she didn't have much money and not much to eat. So what she would do is work during the day to get all of her chores done, and then she would wait and have her one meal each evening. Well, one day she had worked very hard. She was so tired and hungry. She came into her little cabin, and she lit the lantern, and... She had a surprise. A neighbor had come and sent her some leftover salmon. Oh, it was her favorite. So she decided to make some rice balls. With the leftover salmon, she had all the ingredients. It was an old family recipe. So she got her rice to begin with, because, of course, you would need rice for rice balls. And then she had some nori, dried seaweed. Some pickled plums, a bit of soy sauce. And when it was all ready, she dipped her hands into salt water. And then she began forming the balls of rice. Oh, she was so hungry, thinking of how delicious they were going to be. She put them into a bowl, all three rice balls. The door was open. There was a lovely breeze. She could see the moon shining outside. She was in heaven. She went to set the bowl down, but somehow it tipped, and those three rice balls rolled right out of the house and right down the mountain. Well, she went chasing after them. That moon caught the glimmer on them, and she could see them bouncing and bumping along on the rocks. She was running and running, but not fast enough. It seemed that those balls were rolling just a bit faster than she was running. She kept running until she got all the way down to the bottom, and finally, the rice balls stopped, right beside a rock ledge. Ah, She was out of breath. She was even more tired and even more hungry, but she thought mostly they had gone over the rocks. She could just brush them off. She reached down to pick them up, but she saw something very strange. It was a hand or a claw. It had three bony fingers. It was attached to a long, blue, scaly hand that went behind that rock. And before she could do anything, those three fingers had grabbed up all three of those rice balls and disappeared behind the rock. What do you think she did? She went right behind that rock. There was a hole in the rock itself, a tunnel. And she could see just barely a huge figure lumbering off. She said, hey, that's my dinner. And she went running after that figure. Now, it wasn't moving very fast, but it had such enormous, long legs, the strides it was making. She was racing and still couldn't catch up to it. She kept yelling at him, and he didn't stop until she came into a big, open cavern. There were torches all around, and when she looked around, she realized she was in the den of the oni. The oni, they are the ogres, the monsters of Japan, and they love to eat. They are always hungry, and they will eat anything. They have huge heads, three red shining eyes, and a mouth that stretches all the way across to their ears. Well, she said to the one that had stolen her rice bowls, those are my dinner and I'm very hungry. He took one of them, plopped it in his mouth, took the other two and threw them to two of his friends and they were gone. She decided she better not say anything else because they were looking at her like maybe she would be dessert. Now one of the Onis stood up huge and said, Hey, did you make those rice balls? She said, Yes, I did, from a family recipe. Follow me. And so she followed him down the tunnel. He had picked up one of those torches and they went down one tunnel and turned to the right and another and turned to the left and another and another. She was trying to remember which way they turned but soon it was all a maze because it was so dark behind her and they kept walking until they came into another big cavern. He set that torch down and she could see along the rock wall behind there was a stream flowing and the room was filled with big black pots. One was filled with water and it was over a fire and it was already bubbling and boiling. He said, make some rice balls. She said, well, I need ingredients. Hey, no problem. Went over to a chest, opened it up, and there she saw there was plenty of nori, the dried seaweed, plenty of pickled plums, soy sauce, a little bit of, oh, a lot of leftover salmon, just, she said, but the rice, where's the rice? He went right over to a big sack and pulled out just a few little grains of rice and sprinkled them into that huge pot of boiling water. She said, that will never do, there's not enough rice. He said, hey, you wait, I have here a magic paddle put it in the water. She did that and she stirred once and there was more rice. She stirred twice and the pot was filling with rice. She stirred a third time and there was rice all the way up to the top. She got all of her ingredients together. She dipped her hands into salt water and she began forming the rice balls. The first one she ate. The second one she ate. And the third one she ate. She was very hungry. And she continued making rice balls for hours until they were lined up everywhere. And the oni, they must have known, as soon as she had made the last rice ball, all of the oni came marching in. They were very pleased and they started eating up hundreds of rice balls. When the very last one was eaten, They were yawning like they were going to go to sleep, and she thought it might be a good time to make her announcement. Uh, Excuse me, I think it might be time for me to go home now. No, you are going to stay here and make us rice balls the rest of your life. And then they all went to sleep. Well, she didn't like the sound of that, but she thought she better not say anything right then. They all went to sleep. They had fixed another pot filled with water with fire underneath. And so she went and got just a few grains of rice, dropped them down into that pot, put the magic paddle there, and stirred and stirred again and again. And it was filled with rice. And as she was standing there, she was thinking, How can I escape? She thought she could never find her way through that whole maze of tunnels. And with everything so quiet, she heard the stream and she thought, I bet the stream leads to the outside. If the Oni are sleeping, it must be daylight and they can't go outside of the mountain in the daylight and they won't cross water, I'll be safe. If I can just find something that floats so she went over, no boat, she looked all around for a piece of wood, and, and then she saw an empty pot. She drug the pot across the gravel and put it into the water, and it bounced right along. Well, She took that magic paddle and stepped into the pot, and she began paddling her way out, the way the water was flowing. And she was paddling along, moving pretty fast, and then she started slowing down, and, and then she stopped. She was right on the gravel. She turned around, and the Oni, they had awakened. It must have been dragging that pot across the gravel. It had awakened them. They had slurped up all the water. Their cheeks were filled with the whole stream, and there she was. They were coming after her, but she was a quick thinker. There were fish flopping all around. She reached out and grabbed two of the fish. She said, here's some food, and threw it back to the Oni, and the Oni They are always hungry, and they weren't thinking. They opened their mouths to get those fish, and all the water came rushing out. And she was pushed ahead until, with just a few more swipes of the paddle, she had come outside. Well, she rode her way over to the bank. She got out of that black pot, and then she decided to push the pot on down the stream, because if the Oni came looking for her that night, first they would look for the pot. And then she took the magic paddle, and she went halfway up the hill back to her home. She went out and fed the chickens and the goat, and then she went inside. She fixed herself a pot, just a normal-sized pot, filled with water. She took just a few grains of rice, and she put the magic paddle in. One turn, two turns, three turns, and she had a pot full of rice. That old woman, she remained cheerful. She never went hungry. As a matter of fact, she fed everyone that lived in the area. She began selling a little bit of her rice to where she could have three meals a day, and she lived a comfortable life. But always, whenever she was fixing her rice balls, if one of them fell on the ground and rolled out her door, she never went chasing it. (laughs) She figured that any rice balls that landed at the bottom of her hill, they belonged to the
0: Oni. Connie, Regan, Blake, with a story filled with monsters and magic and the resourcefulness of one old woman. What a pleasure to hear that story with you and also with uh, one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, thanks for bringing that story to us today. Yeah, for sure. What are some of the things you love about that tale? Um... I think it's just impressive how that lady
1: just manages to keep a hopeful attitude throughout <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Uh, right. if I were captured and enslaved by by things that wanted to eat me, I think i'd I'd be a little sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and maybe that's an understatement, right maybe the the a, a, and of course, that's what you maybe that's the lesson that a story like this holds, right? is you get a you get a picture of a fantastical situation, but a realistic. Uh, sort of dogged attention to having a good attitude, right? (laughs) And that's something we can all learn from. A pleasure to hear that story. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed.
3: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
0: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, you heard a story called Rice Balls, a story told for you by Connie Regan Blake, one of the important early voices in American storytelling revival in an era now when people are traveling the country and telling stories from stage and in classrooms, Connie Regan Blake is one of the voices that got that rolling, a venerable voice in storytelling in America. We've got a lot more coming up this hour. You're going to hear in just a little bit uh, a passage from the Secret Garden recorded by a group of readers of which I am a part. We read a little bit of that book here in the Appleseed Studio in front of a live audience. We'll bring that to you a little later on. And, uh, of course, we've got uh, a story called The Magic Ice Cream Maker coming up, too. But first, how about an entry in the Radio Family Journal? It's a memory of mine about Well, about a favorite candy. Here it is, on the Appleseed.
4: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
0: I used to love Andy's mints. You know the rectangular chocolate candies with a little layer of green mint in the center? I used to say, I love Andy's mints and I don't care who knows it. But the truth is, I'm wiser than I used to be, and, well, I do care who knows it. For a long time, I made no bones about the fact that Andy's mints were my favorite candy. My favorite! The milk chocolate in its perfect little rectangle, sandwiching the green mint in just the right proportions, the whole thing wrapped up in classy, kelly green foil. Man. Andy's Mints. and Then, and then well, my mom knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite. My dad knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite. My wife knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite. The folks at work knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite. My sister knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite. My brother knew that Andy's Mints were my favorite, and then... well then came my birthday. I woke up, got ready for the day, went to work with a song in my heart, I get to work and there's a rectangular package on my desk, a birthday present. I tear off the wrapping paper. Ha! Andy's Mints! My favorite! Woohoo! It's going to be a happy birthday. Well, I unwrap one and take a bite. Awesome. So great. Half an hour later, a coworker drops by my desk with, what's this, a birthday present. Oh, well, I unwrap the rectangular package and it's, ha, Andy's Mints, my favorite. And a half hour later, another co-worker comes by my desk with, well, can you see where this is going? By the time I get home from work, it takes me two trips to get all the Andy's mints into the house. And there at the door is my wife, and she welcomes me home from work on my birthday, and she has waiting for me a rectangular package. Ah, these are your favorite, right? She says, ah, I say, later that night my parents come over. After all, it's my birthday and in my dad's hand I see a rectangular package. Oh, no. My sister comes over with a rectangular package, I don't know what to do anymore. My brother comes over and I'm swimming in rectangular packages of Andy's mints. And he's got his hand behind his back, my brother does, and I scream, oh no, please tell me that you're not holding what I think you're holding behind your back. And my brother says, I think we both know I am, and I scream, and I gesture to all the Andes mints around me, littering the floor, the table, the kitchen counter, and while my heart pounds in my chest, my brother pulls his hand from behind his back, and he's holding a harmonica. I remember you saying you wanted to learn to play the harmonica, he says. Happy birthday. (laughs) And I fall on his neck in an embrace as I openly weep. An exaggeration? Well, maybe. All I know is that too much of a good thing is maybe too much. And what do I want for my birthday? Well, if you're inclined to get folks candy as a birthday present, all I can say is, I'm not telling.
4: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
0: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. And if that happens for you, you can send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. Now, in just a little bit, we're going to hear a little bit of Francis Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden, a favorite of so many readers, young and old. But first, because we've been talking about food a little bit, how about a concept? conversation with a friend that has to do with ice cream sandwiches made from custom ice cream and macarons. It's today's conversation with a friend. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, from tales handed down, telling to telling around the campfire or the living room or the kitchen table, to the stuff we see on screen, to the things that we experience in great books or great music, and, of course, through the wonderful interactions that we have with terrific food. And, of course, the ways that great stories get down into our hearts and minds is something that we love to talk about here on The Appleseed, and we love to talk about it with friends. I got a friend in the studio today. We're talking about Jenna Parker. Jenna Parker, it's a pleasure to have you with us on The Appleseed.
5: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: And I got to tell you, one of my very favorite phrases in any language is the phrase a la mode <laughs> it's a good one for sure. uh-huh. and and you you have maybe a little more experience with that phrase than some people do you are of course the proprietor of max a la mode tell us a little bit about yes. max a la mode
5: so it actually happened um, my son was a year old and i wanted a hobby something to do i started making French macaroons. I wanted to cater, do weddings and things like that, and I just was trying to pinpoint the best recipe. At the same time, my sister went on a cruise and she came back and said, "I had this giant macaron filled with gelato. It was the best thing I've ever eaten. You have to make these." <laughs> Ding! Off went <with> the light bulb. <laughs> yes. <boomer. laughs> yes. About a month later, Max Alamo was born.
0: Oh golly. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I I'm trying to imagine what like my favorite flavor of Ice cream, uh, macaron, ice cream sandwich might be
5: right, I, and any any flavor of ice cream that you can dream, we can we can do. The most popular flavor we have right now is actually, and from the beginning, has been fruity pebbles. Fruity believe it or pebbles. not. Pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we take fruity pebbles cereal and we mix it into vanilla ice cream, and it it is so good. <laughs> it has never left our menu since we opened. So. Fruity
0: pebbles were uh, fruity pebbles when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. were like the that that was like the dream cereal, right. That you only saw on TV, right. right? And every once in a while, you <laughs> might Fruity Pebbles might come through the door of your house, and you kind of went, "Woohoo!" <laughs> so, yes,
5: my husband says that taking a bite of that Fruity Pebbles ice cream just transports him back to being a kid watching those Saturday morning cartoons with oh, a that's big great. bowl of Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> that's where
0: Fruity Pebbles takes me <laughs> yes. exactly that same place. But mm-hmm. We we should compare favorite Saturday morning cartoons, though. Right? Oh yeah, do, do, does your husband talk about? His favorites. You know, Let's leave him out of it. Right. What, what were your favorite Saturday morning cartoons?
5: Oh, my favorites. I don't even... It's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of yours?
0: My favorite... Saturday, well, listen, we watched Bugs Bunny till we couldn't yes. stand up. Yes, you
5: know? absolutely. But Looney Tunes I, was always a big one yeah, in our house. But
0: I come from the era of, listen, I don't even know if a lot of people have heard of these cartoons, but I come <laughs> from the era of like Thundar the Barbarian cartoons. <laughs> You're not even with me, are you? You're like, I'm going home to look that up. It <laughs> might Google. have
5: been a little before my time. Yeah.
0: Thundar the Barbarian, and uh, of course, oh gosh, the, 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 there was. Uh, there was the Amazing Spider-Man. We listened to Spider. We watched right. Spider-Man yes. cartoons, yep. and it was always introduced by Stan Lee and <laughs> signed off at the end with Stan Lee's Excelsior. You know? <laughs> boy, yeah. Saturday morning cartoons, and and all you have to do is mention Fruity Pebbles, and I'm right. back there.
5: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what 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 other what other flavors of mm. macaron ice cream sandwich can we find walking through the doors of Max Allamod? So
5: another classic we do that's pretty universally liked is the Cookies and Cream. I don't think there's very many people who can turn down a classic cookies and cream. <laughs> um, recently, we did pistachio. That one was a big hit too. It's a really classic, regular macaroon flavor as well, all yeah. across France and everywhere else where you can get macaroons. Pistachio is, is a pretty common flavor, so it was fun to bring that one in ice cream as well.
0: So I gotta know if you, if you, did you do some travel to
5: you know what I haven't as research (laughs) I wish I could say maybe in the future I have a business expensable trip to (laughs) to to France to get some more research for Max Alamode but so far I haven't so
0: uh, you you talked about your husband's favorite uh favorite the fruity pebbles Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and uh uh, 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 but but what's your favorite? I mean, I know there's sometimes a difference between right. what most people order, right? right yes, there's always a the difference. Best.
5: I my favorite is the strawberry. Actually, that was one of our f- original four flavors we did at our grand opening. Um, We bring it back pretty regularly. We'll actually have it pretty soon here again because I can't get enough of that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I come from such an ice cream loving family, Mm -hmm. and maybe you don't. Maybe I don't even need to say that. Maybe that's every family. Pretty universal, right? right? (laughs) But we we go to the store and we just stock up. It's like everybody in the family picks their favorite box of ice cream, right? And they're all the more chocolate, the better for for most people, right? And I'm kind of the I gotta have a carton of strawberry ice cream. Right. I'm I'm that guy. Yep.
5: Yep. When we my husband and I would go to Cold Stone or other ice cream places, he would get one that was very chocolate heavy and I'm over here with the strawberry and the and the fruity flavors for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, well like I say you, you have not dissuaded me from, from a la mode being one of my favorite right. phrases in right. every language in fact I'm suddenly like more jazzed than ever <laughs> to try a little Max a la mode. It's been such a pleasure to sit in the studio for just a minute and, and reminisce a little bit even about Saturday morning cartoons with jenna parker again the proprietor of max Mode. can we find you online
5: yes absolutely we're on instagram and facebook just at max Mode.
0: fantastic jenna thanks for joining us on the app
5: thanks City. so much sam
0: pleasure to chat with jenna about max a mode lots coming up if we're still in the mood for ice cream we've got a story called the magic ice cream maker coming up from priscilla howe and a little bit of the secret garden that beloved book coming up in just a moment i'm sam payne
6: you're listening to the Appleseed. we'll be back in a moment
0: welcome back to the Appleseed. here's sam payne It's so great to be with you on this Hour of the Appleseed. A moment ago, a conversation about macaron ice cream sandwiches. Good heavens. We're going to take a break from talking about food to bring you a passage from The Secret Garden, that beloved book written by Frances Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911, the story of Mary Lennox, a spoiled, demanding, self-centered little girl who winds up after her family is killed by cholera in the care of her uncle by marriage, her uncle Archibald Craven, and in his care she discovers the wonders of a secret garden on the property where she lives. And in this scene from the book, Mary discovers the secret garden really for the first time. This is a book that is responsible for fostering a love of reading in so many, for so many generations now. And uh, a couple of us got together to read a little bit of Francis Hodgson Burnett's classic before a live audience here in the Appleseed Studio. The readers are Suzanne Christensen, Noah and Leah Kershisnik and myself. Here's just a little bit of the discovery of the garden at the center of the story of The Secret Garden. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. (music) ¶¶
3: It was the sweetest and most mysterious looking place anyone could imagine.
7: The high walls which shut it in were covered with the leafless stems of climbing roses so thick that they were matted together.
3: There were
6: trees in the garden. And one of the things which made the place look strangest and loveliest was that climbing roses had run all over them and and swung down long tendril curtains, and And here and there they had caught each other, and had crept crept from from one tree tree to another, and and made lovely bridges of themselves, like like a sort of hazy mantle spreading over everything.
0: It was this hazy tangle from tree to tree which made it all look so mysterious.
6: Mary had thought it must be different from other gardens, which had not been left all by themselves so
3: long.
7: It was different from any other place she had ever seen in her life.
3: How still it is, she whispered. I am the first person who has spoken here for ten years. She walked under one of the
6: fairy arches between the trees and looked up at the sprays and tendrils. I
3: wonder if they are all quite dead. Is it all a quite dead garden? I wish it wasn't.
0: Everything was strange and silent, and she seemed to be hundreds of miles away from anyone. But somehow, she did not feel lonely. All that troubled her was her wish that she knew whether all the roses were dead. She did not want it to be
6: a quite dead garden.
7: If it were a quite alive garden, how wonderful it would be.
6: Where there seemed to have once been a flower bed, she thought she saw something sticking out of the black earth,
3: some sharp little pale green points.
0: She remembered what Ben Weatherstaff had said.
3: Yes, they are tiny growing things, and they might be crocuses or snowdrops or daffodils. She looked
6: in the old border beds and among the grass, and she found ever so many more sharp pale green points and became quite excited. It isn't a quite dead garden. Even if the roses are dead, there are other things alive. She did not know anything about gardening, but the grass seemed so thick where the green points were that she thought they did not seem to have room enough to grow.
7: She found a rather sharp piece of wood and dug and weeded until she made nice little clear places around them.
3: Now they look as if they could breathe.
7: She said, after she had finished with the first ones.
3: I am going to do ever so many more. I'll do all I can see. If I haven't time today, I can come back tomorrow.
7: She went from place to place and dug and weeded and enjoyed herself so immensely that without knowing it, she was smiling down on the pale green points all the time.
6: Mistress Mary worked in her garden until her midday dinner. In fact, she was rather late in remembering it. Could not believe that she'd been working two or three hours.
0: She had been actually happy all the time and dozens and dozens of the tiny pale green points were to be seen in cleared places, looking twice as cheerful as they had looked before.
3: I shall come
6: back this afternoon, she said, looking all around her new kingdom and speaking to the trees and the rose bushes as if they heard her.
7: She had such red cheeks and such bright eyes and ate
0: such a dinner that Martha was delighted. In the course of her digging, Mistress Mary had found herself digging up a sort of white root, rather like an onion. She'd put it back in its place, and patted the earth carefully down on it, and now she wondered if Martha could tell her what it was.
3: Martha, what are those white roots that look like onions? But they're
7: bulbs, answered Martha. Lots of spring flowers grow from them. Uh, the very little ones are snowdrops and crocuses, and the big ones are narcissuses and jonquils and daffy-down dillies. The biggest of all is lilies and purple flags. Hey, they are nice.
3: Do bulbs live a long time? Would they live years and years
7: if no one helped them? Well, they're things as helps themselves. If you don't trouble them, most of them will work away underground and spread out and have little ones. There's a place in the park woods over here where there's snowdrops by thousands. They're the prettiest sight in Yorkshire when the spring comes. No one knows when they was first planted.
3: I wish... I wish I had a little spade.
0: <laughs> Whatever does that want a spade for? How are they going to take to digging?
6: Mary pondered a little... She must be careful if she meant to keep her secret kingdom.
0: She wasn't doing any harm. But if Mr. Craven found out, he'd be fearfully angry and lock it up forevermore.
6: She really could
3: not bear that. This is such a big, lonely place.
0: She said slowly, as if she were turning matters over in her mind.
3: The house is lonely, and the park is lonely, and the gardens are lonely. There is no one to talk to except you and Ben Weatherstaff, and you have to do your work, and Ben Weatherstaff won't speak to me often. I thought if I had a little spade I could dig somewhere, as he does, and I might make a little garden if he would give me some seeds.
7: Yeah, well, if I was you, I'd ask Ben. He's not half as bad as he looks. Mr. Craven lets him do as he likes, because he was here when Mrs. Craven was alive, and he used to make a laugh. She liked him. Perhaps he'd find you a corner somewhere out of the way.
3: If it was out of the way and no one wanted it... No one could mind my having
7: it, could they? Oh, there wouldn't be no reason. You wouldn't do no harm. Mary rose from the table to run to
6: her room and put on her hat again, but Martha stopped her.
7: I've got something to tell you. I, I thought I'd let you eat your dinner first. Mr. Craven came back this morning, and Mrs. Medlock says he's to see you before he goes away again tomorrow. He's going for a long time. He mayn't come back till autumn or winter. Oh, I'm,
6: I'm so glad, so glad. If he did not come back until winter, or even autumn... There would be time to watch the secret garden come alive.
0: Even if you found out then and took it away from
7: her, she would have had that much at least. The door opened and Mrs. Medlock walked in. She looked nervous and
0: excited. Your hair's rough, she said quickly.
6: Go and brush it more. The helper slip on her best dress.
3: All the pink left Mary's cheeks.
0: Her heart began to thump and she felt herself changing into a stiff, plain, silent child again.
7: She said nothing while her dress was changed in her hairbrush. And after she was quite tidy, she followed Mrs. Medlock down the corridor in silence.
6: Mr. Craven would not like her. She would not like him. She knew what he would think of her.
7: She was taken to a part of the house she had not been in before.
6: Mrs. Medlock knocked at a door and someone said,
7: Come in. A man was sitting in an armchair before the fire and
0: Mrs. Medlock spoke to him.
6: This is Miss Mary, sir.
0: You can leave her here. I will ring for you when I want you to take her away, said Mr. Craven.
6: When she went out and closed the door, Mary could only stand waiting, a plain little thing twisting her thin hands together.
7: She could see that the man in the chair was not so much a hunchback as a man with high, rather crooked shoulders, and he had black hair streaked with white.
6: He was not ugly. His face would have been handsome if it had not been so miserable.
7: He looked as if the sight of her worried and fretted him, and as if he did not know what in the world to do with her.
0: Are you well? Yes, Did they take good care of you?
6: Yes. He rubbed his forehead fretfully as he looked her over.
0: You're very thin.
6: I am getting fatter.
7: Mary answered in what she knew was her stiffest way.
6: What an unhappy face he had. His black eyes seemed as if they scarcely saw her, as if they were seeing something else, and he could hardly keep his thoughts on her.
0: I forgot you. I intended to send you a governess or a nurse, or someone of that sort, but I forgot.
3: Please, I am... I am too big for a nurse, and please don't make me have a governess yet. He rubbed his forehead again and stared at her.
0: What do you want
7: to do?
3: I want to play out of doors.
7: Mary answered, hoping that her voice did not tremble.
3: I never liked it in India. It, It makes me hungry here, and I am getting fatter. He was watching her. Where do you play? Everywhere. I skip and run and look about to see if things are beginning to stick up out of the earth. I don't do any harm.
0: Uh, Don't look so frightened. You could not do any harm. A child like you, you, you may do what you like.
7: Mary put her hand up to her throat because she was afraid he might see the excited lump which she felt jump into it. She came a step nearer to him. May I? She said tremulously.
6: Her anxious little face seemed to worry him more than ever. Don't
0: look so frightened. Of course you may. I'm your guardian, though I'm a poor one for any child. I'm ill and wretched and distracted. But I wish you to be happy and comfortable. Play out of doors as much as you like. It's a big place. You may go where you like. Is there anything you want? Do you want toys? Books? Dolls?
3: Might I. Might I have a bit of earth?
7: In her eagerness, she did not realize how queer the words would sound and that they were not the ones she had meant to say.
3: Mr. Craven looked quite startled. Earth? <laughs> what do you mean? To plant seeds in, to make things grow, to see them
6: come alive.
7: Mary faltered.
6: He gazed at her for a moment, and then passed his hand quickly over his eyes. Do you care about gardens so
3: much? He said slowly. I didn't know about them in India. I was always ill and tired, and it was too hot. I sometimes made little beds in the sand and stuck flowers in them. But here it is different.
6: Mr. Craven got up and began to walk slowly across the room.
0: A bit of earth.
6: He said to himself...
7: When he stopped and spoke to her, his dark eyes looked almost soft and kind.
0: You can have as much earth as you want. You remind me of someone else who loved the earth and things that grow. When you see a bit of earth you want, take it, child, and make it come alive.
3: Uh, may, may I take it from anywhere if it's not wanted?
0: Anywhere. There, you must go now. I'm,
6: I'm tired. He touched the bell to call Mrs. Medlock.
0: Goodbye. I
7: shall be away all summer. Mrs. Medlock came in so quickly that Mary thought she must have been waiting in the corridor.
0: Mrs. Medlock, she must be less delicate before she begins lessons. Give her simple, healthy food. Let her run wild in the garden. Don't look after her too much. She needs liberty and fresh air and romping about. (laughs) Just a passage from The Secret Garden, the classic from Francis Hodgson Burnett. And those words seem simple enough, but they open the gateway for young Mary to discover the secret garden unfettered. And it also brings about, of course, the story that unfolds around the bringing to life of the household as Mary discovers the garden. The book, again, was written in 1911, published in 1911, and has been a beloved book since then. It was our pleasure to bring you a little live performance of a reading from that book. Up next, a story from Heather Forrest, an accomplished teller of tales and singer of songs. This is a story called "The Dancing Lass of Anglesey." It's from a collection called "World Tales of Wisdom and Wonder." Heather Forrest on the Appleseed.
8: Um, um, uh, 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 uh. There once was a time in Scotland when battles were fought and yet none would be killed. The victor was chosen by dancer's skill and not by the measure of most blood spilled. In Scotland, long ago, a king was ashen pale with fright. He trembled to think that 15 men would claim his lands that night. They were coming to dance his lands away with pounding steps and graceful sway. And each was a dancing champion with steps so firm and strong that none of the king's own champions could dance as fine or long. I'll lose my gold, I'll lose my lands. The king, he worried and wrung his hands. I cannot gain the victory unless I find the lass from Sea. None can dance as well as she. He sent north and south and east and west to find the one who danced the best. Go forth, my lords, and bring to me the dancing lass of Anglesey. Um, um.
0: They say she
8: dances the time away till flowers bloom and wheat crops sway till everything dies and fades away till none can stand anymore. She dances the seasons, she dances the time, she dances the tides, the ageless rhyme. With delicate feet she keeps the beat till none can stand anymore. She'll dance them to the floor. Well, they found her on a distant hill and brought her before the king. If you'll dance for me, he said, I'll give you anything. I'll give you a mill and lands, he said, and my bonniest knight for you to wed. She replied, I'll take your mill. I'll take your land. I care not for a knight to wed my hand so keep your bunny boy i'll dance just for the joy and so came them all to the great king's hall and she danced them one by one with uh-huh. delicate feet she kept the beat till uh-huh. none could stand any more she uh-huh. stepped she twirled in a dancer's whirl till they uh-huh. lay like a heap on the floor and when the uh-huh. fifth Fourteen knights were all undone. She uh, danced the kingsmen one by one. And uh, then she took the king and uh, danced him to the floor. She uh, leaped about the heap of men who could uh, not fight anymore. So she uh, gathered their swords and silver buckles uh, and out the door went she. For uh, none could dance as long or strong as the lass from Anglesey. The dancing lass from Anglesey. I wish that it were in modern times A battle could be fought And yet none would be killed The champion would be chosen By dancer's skill And not by the measure of most blood Speed um, um,
0: um. Heather Forrest with a story called The Dancing Lass of Anglesey, a speculation on. Wars that might be fought by dancing rather than violence. You know, we talked a little while ago with uh, somebody who makes macaron ice cream sandwiches. It's left such a good taste in our mouth that we're going to bring you an ice cream story to wrap things up today. Ice cream, such a important part of our lives, at least mine, ever since I was a little kid. Sunday night would be the night when... Mom would get out the big ice cream box and we would dish up big bowls of ice cream for everybody in the family, and what a memory that is. This story is called The Magic Ice Cream Maker. It's told for you by the storyteller Priscilla Howe, and she tells it in a recording made live in a live performance before an enthusiastic audience of kids, young people that you're going to enjoy hearing. You're going to enjoy hearing those kids almost as much as you enjoy the wonderful Priscilla Howe telling the story, a story called The Magic Ice Cream Maker. Good heavens, what a tantalizing title. Imagine an ice cream maker that can churn out as much ice cream as you want in any flavor that you want. Gosh, could there be a downside? Well, you'll find out in The Magic Ice Cream Maker from Priscilla Howe here on The Appleseed.
4: Laura lived in a city with her mom. They lived in an apartment building. It was a tall, thin building. Laura and her mom lived on the 10th floor. That building had a flat roof, and on the roof there was a garden. Sometimes Laura played in the garden. Sometimes she played down in the yard. One day she was playing down in the yard when she found a penny. It was a lucky penny. She was looking at it, and when she looked up, she saw a little old woman standing right in front of her. Ah, I see you found a lucky penny. I'll give you some luck if you'll treat it well. Laura said, well, I could try to treat it well. The old woman reached into her sack and pulled out a strange looking machine. This is a magic ice cream maker. You may have ice cream whenever you want it, if you say the magic words. And you will say the magic word to stop the ice cream maker from making ice cream. Laura said, thank you, what are the magic words? To start the ice cream maker, you must say, Sugar and cream, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, chocolate, if you want chocolate ice cream. And to stop the ice cream maker, you must say, Caboodle. (laughs) Laura said, Caboodle. She said, thank you very much. She turned around and started to go up the steps to her building. And when she looked back, that little old woman had disappeared. Laura went up to her apartment She went right in the kitchen. She said, Mom, I have a magic ice cream maker here. Would you like some ice cream? Her mother said, I'd love some ice cream. It's a hot day today. So they sang, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, chocolate. And the ice cream maker began to make chocolate ice cream. It was smooth. It was creamy. It was delicious. Laura and her mom each ate one huge bowl of it. And when they were done, Laura remembered to say the magic word, caboodle. The ice cream maker stopped making ice cream. The next day it was hot again. Laura and her mom got out that magic ice cream maker and they sang, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, vanilla and the ice cream maker began to make vanilla ice cream. It was smooth, it was creamy, it was delicious. Laura and her mom each ate two huge bowls of it. And when they were done, Laura remembered to say the magic word, caboodle. The ice cream maker stopped making ice cream. The next day they got the ice cream maker out again and they sang sugar and cream, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, strawberry. And the ice cream maker began to make strawberry ice cream. It was smooth. It was creamy. It was delicious. Laura and her mom each ate three huge bowls of it. And when they were done, Laura remembered to say the magic word. Caboodle! The ice cream maker stopped making ice cream. The next day, Laura was playing in the garden on the roof. Her mom was in the kitchen and she was hot. She said, I think I'll make myself some ice cream. I don't think Laura will mind. So she got the ice cream maker out and she said, let's see, how did that song go? Oh, that's right. Um, Sugar and cream, sugar and cream, sugar and cream, cappuccino. Cappuccino. And the ice cream maker began to make cappuccino ice cream. It's like coffee ice cream. Laura's mom started to eat it. It was smooth, it was creamy, it was delicious. Laura's mom ate four huge bowls of it. And when she was done, she said, now let's see. That magic word to stop this machine from making ice cream. The magic word is um, um, tabbouleh, um, um alakazam, um, abracadabra, uh, open sesame. The ice cream maker kept making ice cream. It made so much ice cream that it overflowed off the table. It made so much ice cream that it overflowed out the door. I know, she couldn't remember that. You know what? It made so much ice cream that it went all the way down the stairs to the first floor of the building. And it filled up the whole first floor of that building. All the people on the first floor had to go to the second floor. And then the ice cream filled up the second floor, so everybody had to go to the third floor. And then it filled up the third floor. Everyone went to the fourth floor. Everybody kept going up and up and up as the ice cream filled that building up until finally everybody in the building was standing in Laura's kitchen, looking at Laura's mother, looking at that ice cream and saying, what's going on here? Laura's mom looked up. She said, I'm trying to remember the magic word. uh Oh, she called Laura, Laura. Laura came running down from the garden on the roof. She looked at her mom. She looked at that ice cream. She looked at all those people. She said, Mom, And The ice cream maker stopped making ice cream. But all those people were in her kitchen. And they had to get down from there. They had to get down into the rest of the building and it was full of cappuccino ice cream and there was only one way to do it. Laura's mother gave everybody a spoon and they began to eat that cappuccino ice cream, spoon by spoon by spoon and it was smooth, it was creamy, but by the end of it, not a one of them thought it was delicious they'd had far too much to eat and they all felt a little sick and that's the story of the magic ice cream maker
0: The Magic Ice Cream Maker, a story told for you by Priscilla Howe. That's from a collection of stories called The Ghost with One Black Eye and Other Stories. And, of course, it's fun to hear that audience reacting to the story of The Magic Ice Cream Maker. Maybe you've got ice cream in your head. Maybe you've got Andy's mints in your head. Maybe you've got macaron ice cream sandwiches in your head after this hour of the apple seed. Whatever you've got in your head, whether it's rice balls after that story from Connie Regan Blake or anything else, we hope that you open your mouth and share the stories that come to mind with the people around your kitchen table or your living room. Sharing stories with the people that we love can make for memories that last a lifetime. It's been a fun hour and we invite you to join us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. That's the website. And of course, you can find there uh, just about 2,000 episodes of the show, each one of them filled with stories for you and your family. And you can also find other things there. You can find mini episodes of the show. We call them Appleseed Extras, and they contain just a single story, just a few minutes long in case you've only got a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story or a great song or a great conversation, go there today and you'll find a story waiting for you there called The First Story from the great Chicago area storyteller Dan Kedding. Dan Kedding started learning the art of storytelling at his grandmother's knee, his Croatian grandmother who told him stories that led him to create stories of his own and tell stories of his neighborhood and tell stories from all over the world too the first story by dan ketting is awaiting you there at byuradio.org of course you can also google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day on the show it's always such a pleasure for me to be with you our producer is jeff simpson and i can't wait to have you with us again on the Appleseed.
3: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.
0: Hi, Sam here. Just one more thing before we go. We want to invite you to join BYU Radio, the folks who bring you The Appleseed, for a month of service from September 20th to October 16th. We'll be asking our listeners to collectively complete 10,000 acts of service. Now, participating is easy. We're not going to tell you what to do to serve, but you can do anything you want—anything from taking cookies to a neighbor to picking up trash at a local park. Just about anything. And we'd love it if you tell us what you do. You can visit byuradio.org/service to shoot us a message about the things that you're doing as service projects, and uh, we might choose your story to feed on air. Tune in to BYU Radio to hear what others are doing. Now, the slogan for this campaign is bring it, and that means a couple of things. First of all, when somebody challenges us to do 10,000 acts of service, our response is bring it. But we also mean to bring whatever you have and serve. Bring your enthusiasm, your interests, your talents, your hunger for change, your cans of food, whatever you got, bring it. So come and be a part of something big and wonderful as we serve together between September 20th and October 16th. You can visit byuradio.org slash service to learn more. Thanks.